You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Now today, I have an amazing man by the name of Cole Hatter, who is an entrepreneur, investor, author, and award-winning speaker. Cole invests in real estate, startups, and several funds exceeding hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, Cole is the founder of Thrive, Make Money Matter, which is an annual conference designed to teach entrepreneurs how to dominate in business and in life while making the world a better place. So, Cole, thanks a million for joining us on the A to S podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Joel, man. We've been looking forward to this. Yeah, for sure, man. It's uh, been a long time coming, and um, I'm actually looking forward to your event, Thrive. So, yeah, can you tell yeah, us a little bit about this just before we get into your story and everything, man, because I think it's uh, an interesting event. you got a crazy lineup, man. Yeah, so basically a mutual friend of ours, Wes Chapman, who's been a guest on your show and actually introduced us. Uh, he's got an amazing nonprofit called The Human Project, and I'm an advisor. You and I are both in an advisory role to that nonprofit, and uh, we were sitting around trying to think of an awesome way to generate more capital for that nonprofit, and it's always been a dream of mine to host my own event. I'm a professional speaker. I speak at, oh, I don't know, 40, 50 events a year, uh, but they're always for someone else, either a friend of mine that I'm hooking up or a paid gig that I'm hired to do, whatever it is. And I enjoy it. Being on stage is, is kind of my happy spot. And so uh, a couple of us put our heads together and said, hey, let's throw an event where we bring in some of the biggest names in the world of entrepreneurism, business, etc., to just blow people's minds to create an, uh, you know, a, a life-changing event over a weekend. And then once I got all my money back, obviously uh, these things are not cheap, so I'm investing all the money myself. Once I've recuperated all my expenses and everyone who needs to get paid gets paid, every dollar of profit above that from ticket sales will go back to this nonprofit. So it's a great way for me to have my first inaugural event, bring together, just like you said, this insane lineup, teach people how to really dominate in business and life and, and whatever it is that they're up to. And at the same time, you know, uh, getting a, a sizable check to this nonprofit, which is up to a lot of good. So that was a creation of Thrive. That's that's the vision behind it. And again, it's designed for people who either own their own business or are, are growing their career working at a business who just want to get out of the plateau, get to the next level from learning from people directly who are all the number one top in their industries. And uh, it's going to be phenomenal, man. I'm really looking forward to hanging with you again. It was cool the time we got to hang out that one time in LA. Uh, looking forward to having a second go at it out in Vegas. For sure, man. For sure. I remember you shouted us dinner out in uh, Manhattan Beach. So yeah, thank you so much, man. It was great meeting you. I had a good vibe from you. And, and also your story really interests me. I know that you've had uh, crazy experiences in your life. I know you had two near-death experiences in a two-month span. So, you know, tell the listeners, like, how did these experiences affect your life and, uh, and also your future decisions? Sure. So I'll give the cliff note version. Uh, there were two accidents. The first was a car accident. The second was a dirt biking accident uh, where at the end of both, I was pretty banged up. I was in a wheelchair for a while. I was blind in one eye for a while. And I initially wasn't supposed to live at all, but uh, I did survive. And then I got out of a wheelchair onto crutches, onto a cane, and finally have, as of today, 100% recovery, thank God. At the time of my accidents, I was a firefighter. I had no interest in, I can't say I had no interest in entrepreneurship, but my, my dream was to be a firefighter. And I thought, hey, once I'm in that career, one of the beauties of firefighting is you have a lot of days off. 
So I thought somewhere down the line, maybe in my off days, I'd start a little side project, a little business, whatever. Well, sitting in a wheelchair and having to move back into my parents' house, I mean, it was it was a really bad accident. I had to get airlifted in a helicopter because I was dying and bleeding everywhere. It was, it was a mess. Wow. Having to move back home with mom and dad to be cared for, once we knew that I'd survive and, you know, my recovery was uncertain how physically well I would do, but, you know, as far as surviving, we knew I'd be okay, the advice started rolling in from, you know, my friends, parents, et cetera, that, hey, you're only 21, Cole, go out there, go get a degree, go get a job, and whether you walk again or not, at least you can sit at a desk. And although, you know, the corporate setting's good for a lot of people, uh, you know, Joel, you and I, sh- it's not a fit for us. We like to we like to do business or do life in a different way. And so the idea of sitting and working at a corporate job didn't fit. So my next door neighbors who lived next to my parents' home were a real estate team. They were a husband and wife that did real estate and they were doing very, very well financially. And I looked at their lifestyle and I said, you know what? They seem to have a bunch of time and a bunch of money. So I'll do real estate for now until I figure out what it is I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And that was the beginning of it for me. I became a real estate investor, not a realtor, but an actual investor. Uh, I was in the right place at the right time. The year was 2005 and made a, like, a killing quickly. Uh, mm. And I you know, had this false sense of security that I was something special in entrepreneurship, right? Like all I had to do was buy a house, count to 10 and sell it for a huge profit. So I figured this is so easy. Why doesn't everyone do this? I must be something special. Well, for those of us that live in America and remember what happened in 2008, a recession started, real estate crashed, and I got my butt kicked. And I learned pretty quickly that there's more to entrepreneurship than just timing. You actually need to know what you're doing. So through about the next three to four years, uh, you know, trial by fire, started businesses, failed miserably, started businesses, succeeded wildly, sold one, uh, started investing in startup companies and, you know, really diversified what I was doing in Come 2011, I turned a corner where uh, I've had record-breaking financial years every year since, four in a row now. And uh, as of now, we're recording this in September. By next month, I'll have made what I made last year. So this will be a fifth year in a row of a record-breaking year. And, you know, it's been pretty exciting. And so, uh, you know, the course that I'm on now in entrepreneurship was, I guess, kind of accidental. I thought I'd be a firefighter as a career for the rest of my life. But those those accidents and um, almost losing my life, and in both accidents losing people that were very close to me just rocked me. And uh, so back to your question of how did it change my perspective or outlook, I went to entrepreneurship and essentially out of necessity. I didn't know if I'd ever walk again or not and then just fell in love with it, fell in love with the creative side of it. The money's great, but I like sitting around with a guy like you, Joel, over, uh, I think we had tacos or whatever. We, I forget, like Mexican food up in Manhattan and mm-hmm. just chit-chatting about life and business and you and I in a conversation over some burritos thinking of something amazing and saying, all right, let's do it. And fast forward two years, we're selling it for a few million bucks. For me, that that creative of thinking of something, doing it, and then obviously profiting from it is important. I'm obsessed with it. And so to your theme of addicted to success, I fell into it, I guess, accidentally. But once I arrived, I, I love it. And um, you know, I'm all about continuing to grow and, and master the craft of entrepreneurism. Yeah, there you go. A true entrepreneur right here. <laughs> I yeah, it's it. it's been a. I mean, it's it's not been a, a pretty road. I've failed way more than I've succeeded. I've lost a lot of money, but luckily for me, the few successes I've had have uh, financially covered the losses and and put a little extra in my pocket. So, uh, it, we were just talking about that before you press record. You know, there there are even hiccups today that are 
pretty huge in, in some of the businesses I'm running. And it's just, man, if it was easy, everyone would do it. It's just that uh, that ability of, of having the vision and, and keeping on pushing forward. If people are addicted to having success, well, success is earned. It's not a handout and uh, it's not always easy. But if you can keep getting back up, then uh, there's no limit to the opportunities you have for yourself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, keep your helmet on and run hard. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Just to rewind it back a little bit, you did say that you invested in real estate. Uh, you also invested in startups and several companies as well and funds. So what do you feel uh, is the best advice that you could share when it comes to investing in real estate for anyone that's looking at just getting into it? Yeah. So I would say get an education. It's not the typical answer, but I mean, what's interesting, so you said real estate specifically, I'd have a different answer for investing as a whole. But if you want to invest specifically in real estate, which is right now, uh, very popular. Uh, that I can't even count how many reality shows there are about real estate, right? So it's a popular social topic right now. What's interesting about real estate is people think that it's because it doesn't require a degree, that it's just easy to do. And it's not like if you wanted to go cut hair, you have to go to cosmetology school for a year. If you wanted to be a limo driver, you have to go to limo school. If you want to be a dentist, you have to go to dental school. In any career you want to do, You've got to go out there and learn it first. And then people say, well, I already live in a house, so how hard can it be to buy, fix, and sell a house or buy and rent a house? And what's interesting, Joel, and you can probably picture and imagine in your mind people who have made millions of dollars in real estate. But at the same time, you've heard countless horror stories of people who have lost everything in real estate. Yes. And so what's interesting is the question you got to ask people, there are people being made into multimillionaires from real estate and people going bankrupt and losing everything in real estate. Was it just either A, a lack of opportunity, or B, a lack of knowledge? And the answer is B, people were trying to guess, they over-leveraged themselves, and they lost big for it. So the first piece of advice I have is start getting an education Real estate, you know, is not something you want to learn by trial and error because error in real estate means you're losing money and usually hundreds of thousands of dollars of it uh, when you're talking about houses. So take it easy, get that foundation, go and, and buy, you know, go to a seminar company. There are some really great ones out there. Uh, read some books and just study up on the subject so that it's not trial by error, so that you're following a system that works. That'd be number one foundational piece of advice I'd give for anybody that wants to do real estate. Okay, that's excellent advice, man. Thank you. Now, what about investing in startups? Because this is something that's uh, really picking up. A lot of people are, you know, they're making money in one area, but they're like, hey, you know, it'd be cool to invest in a tech startup or it just seems to be the kind of trending thing right now. I mean, what's your advice for, for sure, uh, investing so, in startups? Yeah, this is a newer thing for me. And I'll tell you right from the beginning, I've lost more money than I've made. Uh, but the ones that I'm making money in, again, have a million times paid me back more than, or at least in paper, are worth more than the ones I've lost. And so I don't have a winning record, but I hear from a lot of investors that's pretty standard, right? If you if you invest in 10 companies and two take off, you've made it. So here's what I, I do personally. And I think that when it comes to investing in businesses, this is way, I don't want to say personal in the sense that it's private, but way more custom to the person that's making the investment of, of their risk tolerance, of what their objectives are. Are you looking to get in and out quickly or are you more like the Warren Buffett who wants to buy and hold long term? So you got to know your exit strategy, number one. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to just, are, are you making active income 
where you're enjoying what you're doing and with your extras, you just want to stick it somewhere so that when you you know are older and are done, you've got something waiting for you or you're trying to get in and out now and make that your livelihood. That's the, probably the first question you'd ask yourself is what's your end game? What's your exit strategy? And then for me, evaluating companies just to take, you know, since we don't have six hours to talk about this and this is a deep subject. I always look at the, obviously the product, the industry, it needs to truly be solving a problem. Uh, the, the challenge with startups today is how are they going to do what everyone else is doing differently and unique enough so that they'll get a piece of the market share, right? Because almost everything's already been done. We're not inventing Facebook anymore. Google tried. It didn't work so well for them. So all these spinoffs of what other people have thought of, of trying to do it better, the first question I'll have to ask is, is the product actually solving a problem? where people are willing to pay money for it. The second thing I look at is who's running the company. Because I've seen phenomenal ideas crash and burn because the CEO was not ready to run that company. Likewise, I've seen only satisfactory ideas, things that aren't that great, do phenomenally well because of the team who's behind it. So I'll look at who's running this company and why is this individual or this team of people going to make this happen. And then the last thing that I always try to decide as an investor is if crap hits the fan, is this a company that I can step in and help right the ship, right? Like, so let's just say that some poor decisions were made and things are getting ugly. Do I understand enough about this product industry or space that if things are crashing and burning, am I going to be able to step in and, and actually be able to add value? I'm not a bank. I don't just write people a check and say, God bless you and you know, hope it all works out. I invest in companies where I have enough ownership that my opinion matters and I have enough understanding that I can actually help or create value, whether it be through contacts or actually, you know, doing business strategy of how to get their product to grow, et cetera. And those are really the three things I, I you know, I look at. Um, is it solving a problem? Who's running the company? And do I know enough about this to actually make a difference? Uh, because there's been a few circumstances where things weren't going well and because I knew enough about it, I could as more of a passive investor, get more actively involved, whether it be having a seat on the board or whatever, and start making decisions that put the company in a different trajectory that, uh, again, to the best of my ability, will start making it profitable again or stop losses or whatever it is. So those are the real three things for me. Um, and that's just the beginning. Then there's a million other questions. Are they profitable? How long have they been in business, et cetera? But if I'm even going to consider investing in a company, those are the first three things I look at. And if those all look good, then I start looking at the details of, again, the numbers, how much equity I'm getting, what risk, et cetera. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for those three points, man. That's uh, definitely something that will etch into our mind uh, moving forward and in investing. Thank you. So once you've made all this money, how do you protect it? So that's important. And I think, mm. I mean, I'm really, I'm really glad you asked that question, Joel, because so many people are out there banging the drum of, hey, buy my product. Hey, let me coach you. Hey, this and that. I want to show you how to make money, which is great. And a lot of them are very phenomenal at doing that, right? I've had a business coach the last six consecutive years. So it's important to know how to make money, but I think it's equally as important to know what to do with it and how to protect it once you've made it. And so obviously, Joel, you have a worldwide audience. I know American tax laws and American, you know, corporation structuring, et cetera. I can't speak for the other countries. So what I'd say is just a general blanket statement is get financial advice from the experts in your country that are in the industries that you're in. So for me as an investor, I have a tax attorney and a real estate attorney, right, from a real estate related businesses that help structure my companies in a way that protects me and help 
build you know my taxes or I guess I should say structure my taxes in a way that I only pay what's legally required and no more. I think people don't realize how much they're wasting in taxes. That mm. I'm not talking about tax evasion. That stuff's obviously illegal, but tax sheltering. And so, you know, the best piece of advice I can have is there are great uh, I guess you'd call them software programs like Turbo Taxes and things like that out there. For someone who has a job and they work the same nine to five, sit at the same desk all year long and only make money in one way from their employer, then anything works, right? Just go get an online so- software program, et cetera. But when you have portfolios of investments where you're getting paid interest or principal and interest, when you're generating capital and when you're moving a lot of money around, it takes a full team of experts to either A, be daily involved in your business if you're big enough, or B, quarterly to see what you've done the last three months to keep you going the right direction for the next three months, right? And so I would say quarterly is a good check-in for, for a lot of people to actually take the time to set up companies correctly and set up your taxes in a way uh, so that you're not overpaying. And, and the big one is, you know, we work hard for what we get. Joel, I know that you work hard and uh, recently married. Congratulations. Now you've got two people to think about yourself and your beautiful wife. So a little bit of pressure there. Uh, <laughs> you want to make sure that you're not working so hard that the wrong person slips on your stairs, sues you and takes everything. Mm. And so Rockefeller had an amazing quote where he says, own nothing control everything. And in a two-minute answer to your question, that can't be explained. But there's a way to really legally do that. This is, again, this is nothing illegal. It's just nothing that I own, Joel, is in my name at all. My house that I'm in right now recording this podcast with you, I bought it. I live in it, but I don't own it. It's in a trust. All my cars that are on the driveway and in my garages, I don't own any of them. They're in companies. And literally all my assets, all the rental real estate and all the everything I own, I actually don't own it. It's owned by companies or trusts so that heaven forbid I get into any type of trouble. Someone comes to my house, slips on my stairs, sues me and says, Cole, it's your fault. I felt down. I'm taking everything in court. I have nothing to lose because I own none of it. And uh, it's just very simple of taking things out of your name and putting them in the correct, whether it be a trust or an entity or a corporation, whatever it is. And there are great financial people out there that can give you this type of advice. And I think it's so important and so under talked about. I meet so many people like yourself, Joel, who are making a freaking killing, crushing it, that are like sole proprietors, just getting paid personally and keeping it all in their personal checking account, own their homes, own their cars and their personal names. You are walking around with a freaking bullseye on your back, just asking for trouble. <laughs> Sit down with the people who in your country, city, state, whatever, can give you the advice you need to start being safer and smarter with your assets for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you know, it's uh, interesting. Um, the taxes in Australia are really freaking high, man. They're up there. They're really up there. You're out in California, right? So you're on the high Yeah, taxes yeah, I'm in California. Yeah, yeah, I live in California, as we call it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, don't get me started on that rant. But in California, we have the Franchise Tax Board who loves to take Californians' money. So, <laughs> you know, we pay for the beach, basically. And yeah. uh, it uh, it is what it is. And, of course, I still pay taxes. Don't think that what I just taught is, oh, yeah, I don't pay taxes. No, of course, I mm-hmm. I pay a painful amount of taxes, as a matter of fact. But proportionately to my income, it is the lowest I can legally get away with where the IRS looks at it and says, thumbs up, Cole, and I'm not getting audits and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it's 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 something that we all live with. Right? They say there's two guarantees in life, taxes and death. Cool. <laughs> well, I want to live as long as I can and pay as little as taxes as possible. Yeah, I guess their job is to, to uh, get as much as they can from you. That's just their job. You know, they're doing their job. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, cool. And it's my job to not pay a cent more than I have to. So that's <laughs> a, it's a tug of war, right? And you've just got to make sure. sure that you're educated enough to try to win that tug of war as best you can. For sure. So, you know, I, uh, when I see what you're doing, you know, I can see that you, you're handling your business in a smart way. So what do you do to really uh, automate your business so that that way you're not uh, exhausting all your energy in one area? Another important topic, man, I love this. So that's been like the last two years. Uh, have you ever heard of the book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber? Have you read that one, Joel? I've seen it. I haven't read it. No, okay, read it. pick it up, read it. I know. I already know because I'm familiar with your business enough to know that you're doing a lot of what it teaches. But basically, The E-Myth talks about entrepreneurs that do everything themselves. They are what he calls in that book a technician. Literally, they're doing, they're, they're, you know, let's just use like a gym trainer for an example. That would be someone who's a technician. Great career, nothing wrong with that, but you're only getting paid if you show up to the gym and you're training a client. Then they leave the gym, they do all their own bookkeeping, accounting, they do all their own marketing to get more clients. They are their own business. And what he talks about in that book is starting to remove yourself to become what he refers to as an entrepreneur, not in the sense that you just own your own company, but are an actual entrepreneur where your business runs itself. You look a guy like I, I mentioned Warren Buffett earlier, if that guy took six months off and came back to his companies, would they still exist? And the answer is absolutely. Would the gym trainer who took six months off come back and still have a company? No. So what's the difference? It's that automation. And so this has been a big theme of mine the last two years because just two years ago, I literally did everything. I'd be licking and sticking envelopes sitting in the passenger seat on my way to go and look at a listing, right, to, to put an offer in on a home uh, to then race from there to go to a house actually selling to meet a, you know, a buyer. Anyway, it was a nightmare and I freaking literally hated my own company to the point where I actually quit my own business. It was my business. I named it. I quit and moved away for seven months to like write myself and figure things out. And uh, some of the ways that I'm automating now are the typicals that I'm sure many of your guests have talked about, different CRMs with autoresponders. You know, I, I, I found that my life was consumed by my inbox of my email. I don't mess with 90% of my emails anymore. Only the ones that require my personal attention, all the rest of it is outsourced. Um, the accounting thing I was talking about earlier is huge. I am not an accountant and I'm not a detail guy. I'm big picture. I hate the details and I literally was afraid of taxes. So what I decided to do is although it's a quote unquote bigger investment, it's totally, excuse me, it's totally worth it for me. My CPA every single week logs into my online banking center and, and all my online software for all my businesses and weekly balances my books so that come tax season, I don't even have to talk to the guy. He just sends me an email because he's up to date to the day and says, here's what you made, here's what you owed, here's your deductions, You know, review it and see if there's anything that was off the books, like you paid cash for a car and didn't tell me or whatever, uh, so that I can make sure we're all good and you're done. So that's a huge part of automation there. Um, and then I would say another one is uh, I hired a, an actual personal assistant. There's a lot of virtual assistants out there and I've used a lot of them, but I have a personal assistant now that is working with me face to face. Uh, and that has been a phenomenal turn in, in my company that I have somebody who I outsource the majority of what I used to be doing to him now is has been a massive gain. And so, yes, is that an extra check I'm writing every month? Absolutely. But the freedom I get, it's a huge return on my investment. And so I'd say those three things, uh, again, have been a, a huge help for me. But this is this is the quest I'm on. I mean, my goal, Joel, is to within the next couple of years to just just be kind of managing and improving. You know, I, I already say that my goal as an entrepreneur is to only be a decision maker and problem solver, period. To have enough people and enough systems in place to where at the end of the day, 
I'm not in the minutiae. I'm not in the details of my business. I'm just sitting around being a problem solver and uh, answering questions, right? Making decisions. And that's it. People bring questions. I make a decision. They bring me a problem. I solve it. And that's all I do for my companies. And I'm on my way. Got a ways to go. But uh, that's the end goal for me. Mm, I love it, Cole. That is smart business. What would you say are the two biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs are making nowadays that you see? Man, well, we've talked about a couple, right? The, the not protecting their assets. So we'll skip over that. I'd say another uh, mistake that I see entrepreneurs doing, startups. These are like brand new ones. So we'll talk there first and then we'll talk about people that are already in companies. Mm-hmm. For the people that have an idea and want to get started, for some reason, I see that many of them run out there and try to get their best friend to be a business partner with them. They get this idea. Oh, man, I want to do this. Fill in the blank. Doesn't matter. And when it comes down to actually taking action and moving forward, the first thing they do is go and tell their friend or family member or whoever about it to try to get them to be a business partner. Where now someone else owns half their company who what I see more often than not wasn't qualified to be a business partner. The only reason you go and get a business partner is because that person is an expert and brings things to the table that you don't that makes sense to give them up half your company. And as exciting as it is to work with friends and family, I get it. But what I see so many entrepreneurs do, or I should say people who are in startup wanting to be entrepreneurs do, is go and get, no offense to friends and family, but unqualified people who they are relying 50% of their, their own personal success on this other individual who might have never owned or ran a company ever in their lives. They still have a full-time job. And together one day over burritos decide, hey, we hate working here. Let's start our own company together. I'd be very careful of who you're making an actual business partner. Bring your friends in. Give them an important role. Let them be your director of operations or something. But making them a business partner where 50% of your success relies on them unless it's someone who's already succeeding or an expert or whatever it is in, in what it is you're starting, it probably doesn't make sense. So that's a huge mistake I see people make again and again and again. And I think the reason why they do that, Joel, is because I think it helps alleviate a little bit of the fear. Like the fear of failure or the fear of starting something they've never done before. They figure they're yeah. sharing half that fear with someone. And that's true. But you're also sharing half the responsibilities, half of mm-hmm. everything with them. And for me personally, I would only do that with someone who I'd be lucky to get in the business with saying, oh my gosh, I can't even believe this individual is running a company with me. They're so far ahead of me in this space. This is awesome. So yeah. I'd say that's a big one yep, uh, that's that, that startups do. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I love that, man. I love that. I feel like you have a really good uh, strength that you bring to the table. and I've seen you deliver it and you've, you've also shared your advice with me you know over a dinner table but uh, it's the area of sales you know you are you have a very good strength there and that's really where you've made a lot of your your income from also so what would you say is the number one piece of advice you'd have for those that are trying to sell from the stage okay this is a good one if you're trying to sell from the stage the biggest aha moment and breakthrough I've ever had is learning how to sell at 90 degrees. So number one, NLP is important. Uh, NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. And just to touch on that, because there's a lot of content out there about uh, NLP and nothing about selling at 90 degrees. So uh, NLP is using persuasive language to help people move forward, not hypnotizing them to buy your product, right? Because hypnosis is still only a suggestion. They're still making the decision. So you can't be like, whoa, buy my book. And then all of a sudden you're a New York Times bestseller. What you're using or what you're avoiding are keywords that either 
prohibit or help people move forward, right? So uh, I guess, you know, there's a great book that I read called The uh, Little Black Book of Persuasion Skills. It's all about NLP. Maybe you want to put that in your show notes. People can pick that up. That'd be a great place to learn more about that. But what I want to talk about now is uh, selling at 90 degrees. So selling at zero degrees would be this, Joel. Let's just say I'm on stage and you're in the audience. And I have an educational program about having a podcast. You obviously have a, um, a huge successful podcast. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm trying to sell you my product to get you to want to have a podcast, right? I would sit there and I'd say, at zero degrees, I'd say, here's my product. It's amazing. You should buy what I'm selling because it's going to help you get X, Y, Z, et cetera. That is selling at zero degrees. And copy, like in emails or websites, can be that direct. But on stage, you shouldn't. It's uncomfortable and it's too, quote unquote, salesy. What you do is you sell at, at what's called 90 degrees instead. So here's what I would do differently. I would talk about podcasting in general and I would talk about some of the successes and some of the failures of podcasters who I know. A few that are doing phenomenally well and a few that tried and failed. And I would hook the common denominator being between the two, having an education. Let's just say if this was an educational product I was selling, right? I'd say the reason that Bob and Mary failed and the reason that Tom and Sue success or were successful was because Tom and Sue knew what they were doing. They had the, you know, they had the education. They knew how to take a podcast from an idea, grow it, get a huge listenership, get sponsorships, get people paying for advertisements, etc. And you in the crowd on your own would then say, without me telling you, man, I need an education too if I want to succeed. And then, oh yeah, and by the way, I have an educational product. So now what that's done for you in the audience is you've connected that you need an education. I didn't say, hey, you need an education if you want to be successful and buy my educational product. I said, here's people who knew what they were doing, were educated and succeeded. Who's people who, here's people who were not educated, who didn't know what they were doing and failed. Now you on your own in the crowd at again, 90 degrees can conclude, well, gosh, darn it, I better get an education. And whoa, this guy has an educational product. I think I want to buy it. And so that was like a cliff note version. But learning how to frame things where I'm not directly telling you to buy what it is I have for sale. Whatever my product is, I at 90 degrees create third-party stories of talking about the value of it so that you want to buy it. There's a great book called The Greatest Salesman in the World, and whether people are religious or not doesn't matter. This book's all about Jesus and how he talked in parables, right? Like they call him the most persuasive human being in the history of the world, and all he ever did was tell stories. If you if you read the Bible, again, I don't care if you believe in God or not, but if you read the Bible and the stories of Jesus, all he ever did was tell stories of parables, of characters, so that the listener of the story would conclude what the point of the story was on their own so that Jesus wouldn't have to tell them. And that's why they call him the greatest salesman in the world. And that's all we're doing on stage as well. I'm telling stories, third-party stories of people with real, real results or real failed results so that the listeners can say, man, I want that. And I could say, oh, you do? Cool. Well, I have it. Here you go. And that's probably the greatest skill selling from stage that anyone can create is learning how to not sell your product, learning how to sell what your product does so that the audience says, dang, I need that. And they decide it in their own minds, not you, telling them they need it. They decide they want it, and then it just happens to be what you have for sale. Boom, your conversions will go through the roof. It's, it's, that's probably the greatest skill in the world from selling from stage. Yeah, that sounds like a very elegant way to do it. You know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are very scared of selling. And uh, the, the truth is you need to be able to sell. You're so, you're totally. So, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Awesome. Awesome, man. What would you say is the best advice you've received from a mentor? You know, this is a piece of advice I got a couple years ago. And I'm ambitious. So are you. And this guy told me, hey, you know what, Cole? Enjoy the moment. And that sounds so easy. It's like a fortune cookie. I've, I've heard it a hundred times, but mm-hmm. he went on to explain that, you know, as a firefighter getting hired, I was making $48,000 a year. And I dreamed as a little 19 year old kid that was brand new to the fire department. Someday I'll promote to captain where if I work enough overtime, I'll make a hundred thousand a year. And I thought that was insane. Fast forward, I became an entrepreneur and realized that the world of money is very different than I had ever understood before. And I had a goal of making six figures in a month. That happened at 23 years old. I'll never forget it. It was March 2007. I made 121750 bucks. I'll never forget it because it was such a moment in my life where I was like, oh my gosh, just two and a half years ago as a firefighter, I wanted to make this in a year. I now made it in a month. Then I said, I want to start making this every month so I have seven-figure years. So then I started making my seven-figure years, right? And what's interesting is as soon as I accomplished a goal, I immediately set the new ones, which is good. It's important. It's part of success. It's part of being ambitious. But what I found is that I never stopped to acknowledge that I'd arrived at a goal that I'd set previous. I didn't just stop and enjoy the moment. And if you do that, it's always competing against yourself. They always talk about competing with the Joneses. Someone's always more successful than you are. Well, I found that I always wanted to be more successful than I was in that moment, where in that moment was where I dreamed of being successful just a few years before. And when this guy called me out on it, because he's close to me and he, you know, he was observing my life, it was really interesting that I'm in my dream home right now. Every car I've ever dreamed of owning is either in my garage or on my driveway. I married my dream wife. We have a beautiful little girl. We have another baby on the way. Like I am right now where I dreamed of being. Yet, I'm so filled with ambition of where I want to go. Sometimes I forget to just stop, be present, and be thankful for where I'm at. And that's the best advice. You know, it's again, it's so cliche. Stop and smell the roses, right? But actually doing it and saying, holy cow, just four or five years ago, I dreamed of this moment and I live it every day now. I've got to remember that, still being ambitious towards what I want to create, but at least saying that this was just the farthest reach goal I could have ever, ever imagined up, and I'm here. This is my daily life. I wake up and I'm living it, and just being fully present and understanding that and thankful, and if your listeners started doing that, it would totally change everything. It has for me. I appreciate the small things now where I didn't even notice them before. And that's the best piece of advice I've ever been given. And it's hard to remember to do, right? Because again, as soon as I hang up with you, I've got another call about a new business, et cetera. But just stop and enjoy the moment. Be fully present and acknowledge what you've succeeded in and don't just focus on where you're going. Otherwise, it's, there's no rewards along the way. It's just not worth it. Yeah, that's great advice, Cole. You know, I was actually being interviewed uh, a couple of weeks back and somebody asked me, you know, Joel, how, like, when did you know that you were successful? And and he got me got me thinking. I was like, you know, I think I have to remind myself every day that what I do is success because, you know, as long as you're chasing your highest value and you're making it happen, like that's success, you know. And it's interesting. I also said, you know, that when I meet up with some of my older friends who are still stuck in their nine to five job or they hate their job or they hate where they are and they just don't know what they want to do, it really shows a contrast of where you are and it really makes you feel grateful. Um, and then I guess that's where you step in and, and really it's your responsibility to inspire others as well. So you're doing just that with what you do. So yeah, and congratulations. Totally. And, and it's back. To, thanks, bro. I appreciate that. And likewise to you, right? I mean, before you press record, you're just chilling in Bali. I'm like, how long? You're like, oh, six months, a year, two years. Like, <laughs> we'll see. 
dude, that's the dream. Like, what if you had to interview a thousand people on the street? I bet you 998 of them would say, if I could do anything in the world, I'd figure out how to make money, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, and just pick countries to move to and stay as long as I feel like travel. Right? Like, that's the number one thing people say they want to do before they die is travel. Mm. And you're living that dream now, so you got to remind yourself that. But you and I hang out with just freaking ballers, where you know we're doing well financially, and to a lot of the world, we're living the dream. But then you know we get in a conversation with someone that makes 20 million a month, and we're like, crap, I suck you know like (laughs) compared to this guy i freaking i can't i don't even deserve to be in the room where 99 percent of the world would look at you joel and say dude if only i could be to his level so it is an interesting context depending on what group you're in what circle of friends you're with whether it be some of those that are aspiring to be where you are living your daily life or when you and i hang out with people who again you know make hundred million dollar decisions like it's what they want to wear in the morning and <laughs> feeling like huh dude I'm, I'm grinding out seven figures a year and this person's just made a hundred million dollar decision because they wanted to uh it, it's an interesting context but again with each of us in our own way we've got to remind ourselves that we are successful because that's the encouragement i have to keep moving forward right and um so anyway and again likewise to you congrats on your success I've, it's so it's such an honor to be on your show because i've been a student of yours reading your blogs now for years and i told you this at dinner but i want your audience to know as well that on stage, I have quoted your articles from Addicted to Success 10,000 times. I've been stealing your content and using it to my benefit. <laughs> so thank you very much. Oh, but um, And I put your website on the screen. So nothing but, but love there. But uh, you know, it's really cool because I've looked at you as this huge icon of success. Like, dang, this Addicted to Success guy, he's freaking bawling hard. And I go to his website to think of you know, encouraging, inspirational, or important things to say on stage. Now here we are hanging out in L.A. at, like you said, Manhattan Beach eating, and now I'm on your podcast. So it's just interesting how success is measured. Um, But again, it's important to reflect on the successes we've had. For sure, yeah. And and you're getting all spiritual there, man, like the power of now and being in the moment and all that. What quote would you say has had the most impact on you and why? John C. Maxwell in a book he wrote called Thinking for a Change. And he says, the truth is you can spend your life any way you want but you can only spend it once. And uh, that's a huge reminder for me, uh, again, with my touch with death a couple of times, that every minute has to matter, uh, that time is our most precious asset, that I can make and lose money, gain and, lo- gain and lose opportunity. I'll never get this minute back. So of just being present in that and knowing that some minutes are just used to relax on the couch. It's not like I have to be doing something every second, but just treating my time wisely and knowing that this is my one shot at life and uh, you know, it was supposed to have ended a couple of times by now, so I, I consider myself on borrowed time. So how that quote has impacted my life is just remembering that this is my one shot. And so uh, you know, I don't want to end this life looking back saying that I was sitting on the sideline. I want to say that I was playing in the game or even the star of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I love it. Alrighty, so you have a lot of people in your network, uh, a lot of amazing people in your network. What was the best standout advice that you've received from you know, somebody that you've uh, either you know, worked with, you've uh, interviewed yourself, uh, someone that you've had the pleasure of being in the presence of? Like, what's the best advice you've received from uh, someone else? When my mother told me I better marry my wife before she marries someone else. <laughs> but uh, that's, not, that's, that's not applicable to everyone. But I'll just, I'll just go back to what I said five minutes ago. Just the, the biggest advice I've ever gotten was that whole thing of being present, right? I mean, I've gotten a tremendous amount of advice that's made me a lot of money. But uh, again, just being present for, you know, of knowing what, what it is you're doing and, and the success you're having that we already talked about a minute ago. I'd say that was by far the biggest, most important piece of advice I've ever gotten. 
Because, I mean, I meet so many people, and I know you know them too, Joel, that are fabulously successful, that are wealthier than 99.999% of the world, yet they're miserable. And, uh, you know, finding that happiness and and just being appreciative of the successes you've had matters. So best piece of advice I've ever gotten was to marry my wife, for sure. But since I married her and she's no longer available, so no one else can use that advice, I'd say uh, go back to what we just talked about a minute ago and, and be grateful for the accomplishments you've made today, and then go get ambitious for the ones you want tomorrow. Yes. All righty. Cole, how do we get into this Thrive event? And also, can you tell us a little bit about the lineup? Sure. So the lineup at Thrive, uh, we have Gary Vaynerchuk, who uh, obviously you and I are big fans of his. We yeah. have Robert Hershevek from Shark Tank. Mm -hmm. So if any of the listeners are a fan of uh, the Shark Tank, Robert's going to be there. Oh, we have, let's see, um, Adam Braun of Pencils of Promise, Lewis Howes. We have uh, Tucker Max, James Altucher. I mean, gosh, I'm... I'm, I'm doing it no service. Uh, Suzanne Evans, we have we have 20 speakers who are all, again, the top. Oh, Bill Dorfman, who I believe was the last episode on your podcast, um, who sold Zoom Whitening for like $500 million and just the, the success he's having. He's going to be there as well. So well, how does a dentist fit into this? Well, because he's the most famous dentist in the world and has made more money than any other dentist I've ever heard of before. So people who are the absolute best at what it is they do are coming in for three days teaching us how they did it so that we can pull actionable items on how we can do it too. Mm. So again, for people who are in business or entrepreneurs that want to hear straight out of the mouth of the people who are the best, like when you're sitting at that red light and you see that person drive by in a car and you say, man, I wish I could take that person out to lunch. What the heck is that person doing? They're all going to be together for three days telling you exactly what they're doing and how we can take what they're doing and apply it to ourselves, even if it's a different industry, how they've raised money or how they've uh, gone about creating their success, et cetera. And so that's what Thrive is. And again, like we talked about in the beginning, 100% of the profits go back to Wes at a human project, which is a great cause. So people can feel great about making the investment of Thrive, not only that they're going to benefit personally a tremendous, but that they're actually benefiting a nonprofit, which is up to a great cause of helping uh, at-risk youth, which is just phenomenal. Uh, and the way that they can get it is just heading over to thrivelasvegas.com. And by the time people are hearing this podcast, we'll probably be within that 30-day window of the actual event. It's in October on the 16th, 17th, and 18th in Las Vegas, Nevada. So if people are serious about you know wanting to grow your business and learn and, and get to network face-to-face -face with guys like Robert Hershevet, Gary, and all the others I mentioned, you probably want to grab your ticket before it's too late. Uh, if it hasn't sold out already, it will. Um, and the tickets are at thrivelasvegas.com. Uh, and again, just head over there. There's a couple of ticket levels depending on what you want your experience to be. Yeah, awesome. And if you're an addicted to success listener, uh, Cole, was there any uh, like promo code or anything like that? that they yeah, can we've you? never given this away before. So because you're not just a bro and uh, obviously creating <laughs> awesome value for your audience, but you're actually a part of this nonprofit as well, uh, you're having the best deal that's ever been done. So for oh, Addicted to Success listeners, there are two promo codes you can use. The first is success, B-O-G-O, -O, and that stands for buy one, get one. We have never done a buy one get one before ever we did an early bird special but even then it was you had to buy two tickets if you wanted them so you can buy one ticket get one free at checkout um, if you're a part of joel's audience addicted to success and the promo code for that is just the word success b-o-g-o -O, for buy one get one if you're someone that's going to cruise out there solo and don't have a business partner friend family member or whatever that you'd want to bring so getting a extra ticket doesn't create value for you we've still got you covered uh, you can use a different promo code it's the same word success 
300 300 and that's $300 off your ticket which is also the biggest discount we've ever given so hooking your audience up big time uh, success buy one get one or sorry success BOGO or success 300 uh, one of those two codes will work and uh, again it's a get one buy one get one of equal value so even if you buy one of the higher ticket levels you get one of those for free which is pretty cool and uh, again you know assuming ticket sales haven't sold out yet they're going to want to jump on that uh, as quickly as they can Mate, you're an absolute champion. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So for the listeners, get your bodies out to Las Vegas, October 16th, 17th, 18th, because uh, some amazing people are going to be there. I'm looking forward to Gary Vaynerchuk, man. And Robert Herjavec, yeah. actually. They seem like three yeah, so- big power hitters. I mean, I know their lineup is amazing. Like The rest are absolutely incredible, but I'm definitely hanging out for Gary and Robert. Yeah, and Gary's actually speaking twice. He's speaking for everybody uh, on Friday, but then Friday evening he's having a private uh, dinner party for the VIP attendees. So he'll be doing a live Q&A there as well. So I know you're going to be a part of that one. So it'll be cool to uh, hear what he has to say in a keynote, but then also uh, have his undivided attention, almost like a live Ask Gary V episode right there at Thrive over dinner. So that's going to be really cool. All right, all right. Awesome stuff, man. Cole, you've been an absolute legend. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm just wrapping this podcast interview up right now with the last question I love to ask every guest. And it's, uh, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Each of us are born with a predetermined amount of time and a handful of talents. And I challenge people to not just tiptoe through life and arrive at their graves safely, just trying to stay comfortable, make enough money to get by, but to go back to the quote of John C. Maxwell, to know that you only get one shot at this life. So take your time, take your talents, do something you're proud of, and make some meaningful movement in this world so that when you're gone, there's a measurable impact on the time you had here. And you don't just, again, tiptoe to your grave, arrive safely, unnoticed and not mattering to anyone. It's it's important that people realize that their unique blend of talents and experiences gives them a unique position of giving back in some way. And so my last 30-second speech to the world, if this is the last words out of my mouth, would just say, acknowledge that you have something you were meant to do. Go do it and give it everything you've got. And don't just drift through life trying to stay as comfortable as you can. Get out of your comfort zone. Make a difference and matter.